All right. Well, welcome back to the PriceWell Podcast. We have a returning guest today, Dr. Cameron Seppa, from episode 62. Uh, we had a great time talking about testosterone and all sorts of stuff there. Actually, one of our more watched episodes and more talked about on TikTok and Instagram. We had a lot of really interesting inquiries. But today we're going to be talking about a completely different protocol, being the lover's protocol. So, uh, Cameron, thank you so much for coming back. Again, we have Mike Roberto here, uh, and my name is Ben Kane. So we're super excited to be talking. Cameron, how are you doing? Doing great and great to be back on the show and talking to you, Ben and Mike. Yeah, I'm super. Uh, when you sent us the email about this uh, lover's protocol, uh, I was a little more familiar with the, the, the compounds, so I was excited right off the rip. And then once Mike started reading into them, uh, we got some excited messages about some of the, <laughs> some of the data is really interesting uh, for, for men. Uh, I should also say it is July 12th, 2022. Right. Now. So uh, welcome back for those listening on audio feed. I'm just all smiles here because yeah, we had a great episode last time and um, you, you, you have a problem in society and you're attacking it. I love the way you're attacking it. So I kind of just want to like kick it off right from, right from there. Like Dr. Cam, what is the problem that we're addressing? How can we address it uh, in the most holistic and healthy sense? And then what's the little extra you got for us to really, really address the problem? It's kind of like what I want to discuss here. So it's called the Maximus Lover Protocol. So let's, let's have at it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it actually addresses a couple different things, but, but maybe I'll start um, with a premise from the get-go, which is, you know, we, we had a really interesting episode last time. Um, and I was making an argument that testosterone is one of the most useful single biomarkers of overall health. In that if you have a shitty diet, you know, you're not exercising, your sleep is thrown off, all of those negatively impact your testosterone. And so if you end up with low testosterone, it's a pretty good sign that your overall health is not very good. And, and uh, conversely, if you obviously sleep up to eight hours a night, have a regular exercise program going, you manage your stress and cortisol levels, your testosterone levels will typically increase. So it's a very useful blood marker, essentially. The unfortunate thing is most men still to this day have no idea what their testosterone levels are. So um, um, probably a more simple uh, marker of overall health is your morning erections or what's typically called morning wood um, and your overall libido. If you're a generally healthy uh, in shape guy, you should uh, even well into old age actually have a healthy uh, libido and uh, our ability to get erections as needed, um, whether spontaneously in the morning or obviously in conjunction with uh, stimuli. And unfortunately, you're seeing this epidemic in which that's no longer true. I think libido levels in general have been just, you know, anecdotally, if you talk to a lot of guys, uh, declining across the board. Um, now, there's probably a lot of complex social phenomenon for why that is. First of all, the, the rate of virginity actually amongst young men is at an all-time high, even probably twice as high as it's been in the last couple of decades. There's a huge pornography problem um, that's obviously just readily available um, you know, with the internet. And then obviously there's a huge obesity and metabolic problem, right? Um, in which if you're overall, you're, you're, you're metabolic health is not good, then your ability to have healthy libido and erections gets compromised as well. So I think you're seeing this perfect storm of, of sexual problems. And I really became alerted to it when I was actually talking to the CEO of one of the big telemedicine companies when I was working on the venture capital side. And I was just talking to him about his business and, you know, they sell ED drugs. And he told me something that wasn't sort of public information. 
I won't name the company um, in order to keep the confidentiality, but he said the average age of his consumers or his patients was 25 years old. And I was like, what? I literally didn't, I like, I thought I misheard him. And I was like, wait, did you say 25? And he said, yeah. I was like, what are 25 year olds doing buying ED drugs? Because, you know, like you should be pretty healthy at 25. You don't, shouldn't have a lot of sexual dysfunction. Um, and it, it made me realize it's, well, it's a couple things that's happening there. One, really sadly, just as there really weren't obese 25-year-olds or diabetic 25-year-olds a, a generation ago, that is rapidly changing. There's a lot of folks who, even at 25, are not super healthy and are experiencing genuine ED and unfortunately uh, are, are, uh, need to take a pharmacological approach to address it. The other interesting other two use cases, though, were obviously a lot of young men drink uh, and get the so-called whiskey dick phenomenon in which it's alcohol-induced erectile dysfunction, right? And so I think most people who've had one too many can probably attest to that. Um, and so they're taking it because, you know, they're out on a Friday, Saturday night, they're drinking too much and they don't want to impair their performance, which, you know, makes sense. Obviously, the, the, you should just not so drink so much in the first place, but people don't hold back as much. And then third, which I thought was the most fascinating as someone who's a psychologist and psychiatry professor, is there's so much performance anxiety, interestingly, amongst young men in which they actually have the ability to get an erection, but they're just not sure. Maybe it's a new partner. It's the first time, or they just don't want to let them down, I guess. Um, and so you almost take it as insurance where they're like, you know, when I'm taking ED drug, I know I'm going to get hard and hopefully improve my performance. And I just reduce my stress and anxiety around it. So they're almost sort of taking it prophylactically or preventatively in order to just, I don't know, not have a bad sexual experience, which I thought was really, really fascinating because that was just never, never an option before. And it's just really becoming uh, more ubiquitous. Now, um, I don't have a problem with cosmetic pharmacology, so to speak, in terms of taking things for a little bit more of like enhancement reasons. As long as though, I think the major issue that I had with what the company had set up was, you know, they're very much billing it as ED medication. And so they have to basically lie to their doctor and say, yeah, I'm 25, but I have ED when I'm really taking it for performance anxiety reasons or because I'm drinking too much or whatever the reason that they're trying to take it for. Um, and I was like, that's not great because the moment you start lying to your doctor, you start getting into trouble because there, there are, for instance, contraindications with ED medications. For instance, you shouldn't be on nitrites because um, ED medications typically lower blood pressure. So if you're taking something that already lowers your blood pressure a lot, you don't want to overdo it. And, you know, if you're like, Hey, I just want this medication and you're not thinking about, well, I'm, I might actually harm myself in a way that's the doctor's responsibility to be like, Hey, maybe this isn't right for you, or you got to not take this medication or not drink so much when you, when you take this, uh, so that you can obviously do it in a health, safe and healthy way. And so that kind of just implanted this idea in my mind of, Hey, these are really interesting, effective, powerful medications that can be used for actually a variety of reasons, which I'll tell you about that even go way beyond sex. But the first thing that we have to do is remove the whole stigma around them and be able to have an honest conversation about them, especially with the doctor, so that you can take it for whatever reasons that you want to take it in a way that's safe and it's, and it's very healthy uh, and effective for that person. I like a lot of this discussion. Um, I've even run into, like personally myself, I, for some time I used Cialis just as a daily usage just for overall blood pressure. Um, it has a bunch of other benefits as well, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, Cam. But I was recommended to me by my TRT doctor. And in a lot mm -hmm. of kind of that community where um, 
you know, the word drugs is kind of a bit of a strong word, but using these non-scheduled drugs to kind of enhance your lifestyle and feel better overall, uh, something like Cialis can be beneficial for a lot of guys, but if you mention it in some crowds or some friends, it's kind of like, well, as I'm 29, like I really shouldn't have to have a reason to use that, but if it enhances my lifestyle overall, like there shouldn't be a stigma around that. There can be a lot of benefits to it. If you're an athlete, if you have high, like I, I, you know, I'm stage one hypertension, I'm not super high, but it gets me into a, a healthier range. Um, there's actually one really funny video where Mike and I were doing a whole re review on a whole product that had nitrates in it. And as we're talking, I was using like two and a half milligrams every other day. It was not a big dosage or anything, but Mike says like, hey, for everyone at home that's taking night, uh, taking blood pressure medications or Cialis, you shouldn't be taking this product. And you can see my eyes in the video light up. And it's it, a lot of people, I think, put a big stigma on it, which it really shouldn't be. I, I, but I totally agree with you that I don't think, you know, people in their early 20s should have to be using these things. So, yeah, to back things up, um, for those listening, it seems like one of the most easy, like, status checks is morning wood. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to kind of understand why. Like, do you, uh, and we don't need to make this whole show about morning wood, but I'm kind of curious um, because I've heard this before but never dug down that at all. Is, is there, is this an understood phenomena? Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, nocturnal erections are a common sign that, you know, at night is the time period in which um, our hormones, including testosterone growth hormone, um, actually peak. Uh, and, and, you know, it's obviously the, the period of time in which we get our, you know, physiological restoration primarily through deep sleep. And so you will um, spontaneously, even throughout the night, actually have erections. There's, there's funny lab studies in which they'll actually attach a device to the penis and you can literally measure the number of times uh, and the strength in which someone has an erection, obviously that's uh, not really, you know, commonly done for home use, but most people by the time they wake up can obviously, you know, the first kind of moments of waking up notice that they have an erection or not. It doesn't mean that you, you necessarily need to have an erection every single time, the moment that you wake up, and it kind of depends on what phase of sleep you're wake, waking up at. But uh, you know, if you never have an erection waking up versus every once in a while, you do notice it, it's generally, you know, associated with like, you know, you have healthy hormone function, healthy vasculature fu function in terms of getting the blood flow that you needed. So it's kind of a useful canary in the coal mine kind of a measure. And, and the other one that to me is just more, much more obvious is, is do you have a, a healthy sense of libido in general? Like, obviously, as you're going throughout the day, I mean, do you ever want to have sex? And by the way, I, I specifically actually refer to it as a healthy sense of libido. I think these days, um, I don't even think a lot of guys understand what a healthy sense of libido, particularly young men are because they masturbate in a way that's very impulsive or compulsive due to the presence of internet pornography. So mm -hmm. I almost take a contrarian point of view in that my definition of a healthy libido is, do you want to have sex with another person? Right. That is, a, I guess, a very traditional, maybe conservative point of view about what libido is. But usually that's what I define as sort of libido versus I'm feeling anxious or stressed right now. And, you know, I want to, you know, just compulsively masturbate in order to make my negative emotions feel good. That That's less about a genuine sense of libido and desire, right, for sexual intimacy than it is. I just want to not feel as bad right? That's really the avoidance of a negative emotion rather than the spontaneous desire to, you know, elicit pleasure. That to me is a much more healthy sense of libido. So I would say those two markers hand in hand are usually useful, like bio, uh, not even a biomarker. It's like a, a, a psychophysiological marker um, of overall health. So if you find that you're, you know, you never notice essentially morning wood or morning erection and your libido is not what it used to be, 
perhaps when you were younger, obviously people are most sort of hormonal and horny when they're teenagers, but still, you know, um, people should be able to actually maintain a healthy sense of libido, as I mentioned, all throughout the lifespan. And so if you're not feeling it at all anymore, there's usually something going on lifestyle related, often very time stress related. Cortisol is probably the, the biggest libido or hormone killer uh, or, or uh, you know, libido killer, I should say. Um, and so it's useful to examine what's going on in your life that's, that's addressing those and obviously address the root causes of it before you get into the pharmacological side of things. Is there, because um, you kind of talk about like like a healthy libido level, like is there like a frequency that you look to to actually be like a healthy amount? Because obviously when you're younger, like your body's a little bit primed more for reproduction than when you're older. I mean, does that change totally. naturally? Or like if you're, if you're, if you came to a, if someone came to your office and they're like, I only think about this six times a week, like that obviously, like what is the number that you kind of look to for healthiness? I don't, I don't really think we can quantify it because I really do First of all, there, there's quite a bit of individual variability, sure. right? People have very different hormone levels naturally, which influence that. Libido is also a very complex phenomenon. I, I talk about it actually with a lot of guys in our community that it's really biopsychosocial. There is the biological phenomenon. Like for instance, if you increase testosterone, you usually increase libido with it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, a pretty strong correlation, but not a perfect correlation. And sometimes they're surprised though, because we'll, we'll double their testosterone on the King protocols we talked about. And they're like, well, my libido is still not good. And I was like, okay, well, what's going else on in your life? What about the psychological and the social factors? Like, do you have a partner that you can engage in regular sex with? How's your relationship with your partner? Uh, like, as you have tension and stress in your relationship that highly influences libido um, and the dynamic of obviously, you know, your intimacy, all these other things make a huge difference. So it's, it's hard to be prescriptive and say there's like X amount per week that you should be having sex. Um, that's why I think the more useful maybe measure is like a comparison to your own baseline where like, you know, if you were having sex, let's say several times a week, and that's gone down to once a week or less then, well, is it, you know, is that because of a decrease in your libido or is it because your partner has a decrease in their libido and they don't want it any anymore, or there's their tension or other issues that are going on in your relationship. So I, I think you have to kind of compare it to your own baseline and see generally if there's like a big drop that I would say, Hey, maybe that's something worth noting. Um, and then the other thing is just like partner satisfaction too. Like, are you satisfied with your own libido? Is your partner satisfied with your libido? Is there like a, a relatively, uh, you know, equitable match in terms of that. That's when oftentimes people start coming in and seeing their doctors, like when their libido doesn't match their partner, they're not, not able to provide the, the physical and emotional intimacy that they need. And you're like, okay, I'm not basically able to fulfill my role in the relationship. And then, you know, that, I think that's kind of an important thing to be able to, you know, suss out and fix at that point. Yeah. Cause one of the things you said on our last podcast was that you don't really focus specifically on like the testosterone number. You, th you look at the effects, the feelings around it. So I, it makes a lot of sense. I see a lot of parallels. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the lover protocol and, and maybe some of the, the agents that are involved. You mentioned Cialis, which is the brand name for yeah. Dalafil. Um, and it has a very interesting uh, history behind it, which I think people will enjoy hearing this story. So these were actually originally uh, developed as drugs for pulmonary hypertension, which is a fancy word for an elevation in the blood pressure in the lungs. So they're actually blood pressure reducing agents. And, you know, in the clinical trials, they were giving them to, you know, test subjects. And when the trial is over, you usually are like, all right, give me the rest of the medication that you haven't used back. Um, you know, we'll wrap it up and we'll get it through FDA. And then the subjects were like, uh, no, I'm not returning these. 
And they were like, wait, wait, what, what do you mean you're not returning? They're like, this trial's over. And they're like, no, this is good stuff. I really want to keep it. And they're like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, it just really improves my erections and it's fantastic. And I don't want to stop taking it. And so the researchers were like, what? This is a blood pressure medication, but apparently it had this side effect of improving erections. And this is a, I'm going to go on a little bit of tangent here, but I think this is a really interesting thing that consumers are, um, don't really understand is that medications are not for any particular purpose, right? Medications actually usually have a multitude of pharmacological and physiological effects. What we do as clinicians and scientists is we decide, okay, what's one of these that we want to uh, get FDA approval for in which it's been tested for safety and efficacy, and then it can be successfully marketed for that purpose. It doesn't mean that it can't be used for other reasons, but maybe the drug company didn't push it through FDA because, I don't know, the market wasn't as big, or maybe the market was competitive and there already are alternatives for it. Um, but ED was really interesting in that there really were no ED medications on the market prior to the what are called the PDE5 inhibitors. So Viagra, um, or uh, the generic name is Sedalafil, um, and Cialis, or generic name Tadalafil, were, th were these initial generation of um, phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors. That's what PDE5 is. And basically what they do is they work on the vasculature system, the blood vessel system, in that they increase blood flow, right? And PDE5 specifically uh, enhances blood flow, especially obviously to the penis, which en enhances um, erectile strength. And so they're like, hey, this is an interesting side effect for the drug, but they're like, this is actually a useful effect and we should actually get it through FDA. Um, and they obviously got it approved for a multitude of reasons. So Tadalafil actually, uh, I believe has three FDA approvals um, in which it's commonly used, as you mentioned, for the treatment of hypertension. So it is a blood pressure lowering medication. Second, it's used for BPH or what's called benign prostate hyperplasia in which um, if you have sort of an enlarged prostate, when that, by the way, just happens as men age. So you typically will notice I have to urinate a lot. Uh, I have sort of a trickling or dribbling of the urine when I go to the bathroom. Um, and so when you're experiencing those kinds of or incomplete voiding symptoms, um, typically it's a sign of an enlarged prostate, it can be diagnosed with ultrasound. And Tadalafil is actually helpful for that. It actually helps shrink the prostate. Uh, reduces the need for urination and the incomplete voiding or dribbling that a lot of the guys experience when you have an enlarged prostate treats that as well. And then obviously the third and much more popular, uh, you know, reason for its use is for the improvement of erectile dysfunction, right? Um, and it, because it enhances the, the uh, blood flow uh, and it is very effective. Now there's a lot of people ask, okay, what's the difference in Viagra and Cialis, right? Because of the two drugs that most people are familiar with. Um, in a lot of ways, I would argue, this is my subjective opinion, but I think there's good data to support it, that Cialis is, is superior in a lot of ways. Um, Viagra um, has, first of all, an, a problem with food in that if you take it with fatty food, it messes with the metabolism of it. So you have to make sure you're not eating it around dinner time, which is unfortunate because that's when people typically are having sex, usually in the nighttime. Um, and so it's a little trickier to dose. And you want to time it correctly with Viagra. And that's obviously hard if you're trying to use it and have spontaneous romance. You're like, well, am I, am I having sex? Am I not having sex? If I don't have a regular partner, I don't even know if I'm getting laid at the end of this date. So it's a tricky thing to try to take versus Cialis actually has a longer half-life, right? Which means that um, it lasts longer in your system. Originally, when it was in fact released in France, it was known as the weekend pill. 
because guys would take it on a Friday afternoon and typically last until Sunday evening. So typically will last for about 24 to 36 hours. And so the, uh, the way that it's actually taken for e the, all three of those indications is as opposed to taking it as needed for when you want to have sex, you can take it as a daily use product. And especially in the lower dosages, two and a half to five milligrams, um, it can be used daily. And then you don't have to stress about when to take it. Like, oh, I don't know when I'm having sex. I got to time it right. I have to take it 30 to 60 minutes before so that it peaks at the right time. You just take it every day. You set it and forget it. It achieves, achieves serum saturation levels. And so you have a steady sort of state of it floating around your system and you're able to get erections when you need to. And just to clarify for people who've never taken sort of Cialis or Tadalafil, it doesn't mean you're going to get totally random, spontaneous, hard boners and in inappropriate times, it's going to cause social awkwardness. And it, uh, High school. <laughs> yeah, you, you still need stimulation for the most part. It does obviously make it easier to get erections. And um, I would say maybe you, you are walking around like a little fuller, if you will, uh, in terms of sort of a half erection, if you will, but not anything that would cause like, I don't know, embarrassment or you're like, I'm trying to get rid of this erection sort of phenomena. It's, it's more like, okay, if there's simulation or it's a, there's a need for it, um, it will obviously make you get hard faster. It will make you harder and it'll help you stay hard longer uh, than if you didn't take it. And if you're fortunate um, and enough of a young buck enough that you want to have sex multiple times, then it certainly helps uh, because obviously even guys who don't have ED, but it's harder to go for the second or third round, unless you're very, very young and have a super high libido, it does maintain the ability to maintain your erections in subsequent sexual encounters. So it is, it is very effective for all of those use cases. And I just think it's a lot less of a headache than essentially um, Viagra. Speaking of which, um, all, all of the PDE5 inhibitors do have some side effects. All medications have side effects. The most common um, side effects are actually headache. Um, if you take it, especially in higher dosages, um, some people do get a little bit of facial flushing, um, in which they'll get a little redness. That one just varies by individual. Um, ironically, anecdotally, some wives who um, are used to their husbands taking Viagra actually notice it, the skin flushing, and they're like, oh, I know it's kicking in time for me to go jump on them. <laughs> so I guess that is a side effect or a signal, depending on how you interpret it that way. And the third most common side effect, um, besides the headache, uh, the flushing, uh, sometimes some people get a little bit of gastrointestinal uh, reflux, um, and sometimes a little bit of lower back pain. It, there's, it's just, it's a stiffness of the muscles in the lower back. All of these problems though, um, in my observation are alleviated with just taking lower dosages of it. Contrary to the American notion, more is not always better. And, you know, I got a question about this from the, the other day, like about Tadalafil, they're like, well, you know, a lot of, I've seen 20 milligram dosages prescribed. And I was like, yeah, if you have genuine ED and you really can't maintain an erection, then taking a 10, 20 milligram dosage may be helpful for you to get an erection. But if you're just taking it on a daily use, uh, the two and a half to five milligrams is more than enough. And it avoids most of the side effects that most people experience. So I think from a safe and conservative point of view, you always want to take the MED, the minimal effective dose. You want to get the most bang for your buck, the most benefit with the least amount of costs or side effects that you can. And I think really taking it in this way in which you're taking a low dose on a daily basis, I think minimizes a lot of the side effects while giving you a lot of the benefits in terms of the sexual enhancement properties that we talked about. 
Right. Agreed. And so getting back to what one thing Ben mentioned, there is a study we often cite talking about um, combining nitrates with uh, tadalafil. And so in that study, because um, a lot of the supplements that we use, the pre-workouts, they use various forms of nitrates and the doses have been getting higher. So we want to be you know, careful about that. But the study where it showed the blood pressure went way low, they were combining uh, nitroglycerin with a 20 milligram dose of, uh, I always say, Tadalafil. So um, knowing that a lot of people are two and a half to five milligrams, I'm far less concerned. And obviously you, know, you have to talk to your doctor and all those disclaimers and combining drugs and dietary supplements like that, you know, cause some issues and everything. But, um, I, I, you know, just looking at the study, I used to be a lot more afraid of the study until understanding that not everyone is or should be taking 20 milligrams of the drug in the first place. So again, yeah, I, I agreed with, you know, taking it, a dose that's small and effective. Absolutely. And as we say in pharmacology, the dose makes the poison, right? Mm -hmm. So it's when people say, does the drug have side effects? Well, it's like, well, at what dosage? Because drugs actually even become arguably different drugs at different dosages. They actually can often hit multiple receptor systems when you're taking them at higher dosages. We know this from psychiatry in particular, um, versus you taking it at a low dosage, it may only hit one particular receptor system at a, at a dosage that results in any sort of meaningful effect. But you brought up a really interesting point in that there is this interaction effect, right? Um, with the nitrites, because a lot of people are taking pre-workouts in order to get that nitric oxide effect, get the vasodilation in order to get what are called the gym pumps or muscle pumps at the gym, right? But the idea is you want to increase blood flow. So you're getting all the nutrients into the muscles and that as you're breaking down the muscle fibers, you know, you're able to restore them and, and, uh, improve muscle protein synthesis and muscular hypertrophy. So I, I want to make a very bold and maybe unpopular claim to some of the other, um, supplement companies that are yes. out there. I think if your goal is to increase vasodilation, there's no better gym pump, muscle pump, blood flow, uh, you know, uh, enhancer than Tadalafil. And I actually argue you should Ben's, Ben's nodding. Time. Let the record show on the audio feed. Ben is nodding. Yeah, this is my, my subjective opinion, but I, I think honestly, most pre-workout supplements, if you're taking them for vasodilation purposes are weak and I'll, I'll make a, I'll, I'll stand by this claim and I'll tell you why. If you look at what are the agents that they're using some sort of like nitrite, maybe they're using a beetroot, maybe they're using a citrulline, maybe they're using arginine. Uh, these are like common amino acids you can buy anywhere. Um, and they do have a mild effect, right. In terms of enhancing, you know, gym pump and certain things, certainly like citrulline actually do have a decent amount of research evidence behind them in terms of enhancing, um, you know, uh, muscle growth, strength gains, et cetera. But here's the thing, if they really, really worked, there wouldn't be a need for ED medications. All of us would be just dousing citrulline or arginine before sex in order to enhance our erections. And guess what? It doesn't really work that well. That's why when Viagra and Cialis came on the market, billion dollar drugs instantaneously, because they just work really, really well. There's nothing that works as well as them. They're just phenomenally effective medications. And so you can take that outside of the bedroom and say, well, what about in the gym? Here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is they actually increase blood flow everywhere. They're not just increasing blood flow to the penis. They're increasing blood flow to all of your muscle tissues and actually even to your brain, cerebral blood flow. And I'll talk about that in a second, but I would argue if you want to enhance your pumps at the gym, uh, taking a low dose of Tadalafil 
is by far the most effective thing that you can take. And I think there's just unfortunate stigma around it because you're like, oh, it's a prescription medication. And you're like, yeah, it is a prescription medication, but it works better. And that's why it's a prescription medication. So as long as it's safe and healthy, obviously talk to your doctor about whether that's right for you. But a lot of people, I will tell you, and Ben knows this too, in the athletic and bodybuilding community, um, take it because it, for, for multiple reasons, you know, obviously if you're taking other agents, it can increase your blood pressure and it can help relieve the side effects of that. But if you're really just trying to maximize your blood flow and your muscle protein synthesis, and there's in fact studies that specifically show, uh, sildenafil Viagra and concur, uh, you know, it makes sense analogously that Tadalafil Cialis would do the same thing. They actually increase muscle protein synthesis, right? It's the ability to build the muscle in and of itself is enhanced on these agents. And you really do just get a sick pump, as they say, um, if you've ever tried taking five milligrams of Cialis um, at the gym. And it quite frankly works better than any other supplement. So my way around the issue that you brought up about like not having too much contraindications with the nitrates and the supplements is don't take a, uh, an NO supplement in the first place. Just, just take the, take the Cialis. It's going to work better. Uh, it's, and you don't have to worry about safety toxicity issues with some of the, the supplements, the unfortunate thing that people don't talk about. And obviously there's a lot of great supplement companies that you guys work with out there. We're actually launching a separate supplement, which I'll come on and, and, and talk about at a future podcast is, um, unfortunately, because a lot of the supplements don't work, they're ironically spiked illegally with pharmacological agents. So a lot of the pre-workout supplements, and there's, in fact, there's research that's been done on this are spiked essentially with PDE5 inhibitors. So they actually find traces of sildenafil or Viagra in these supplements because they get them to work, but it's obviously legal and it's unethical because you shouldn't be sticking stuff that's not on the label because, Hey, maybe they are on a nitroglycerin and they don't know it. Right. So to me, that tells you something that if, if the over-the-counter stuff worked, they wouldn't be spiking, you know, some of the companies wouldn't be spiking their stuff with the prescription drugs. So I think the safest thing to do is just take the prescription drugs from a pharmacy that's legitimate. You know, it's pure. There's no heavy metal toxicity. You know exactly the dosage that you're taking. You can adjust the dosage as needed. Um, and it's, it's literally what the pros do. So if you want to, if you want to have the same effects, you gotta, you gotta use the same substances. <laughs> I've kind of joked with people before that, like, if, if you've ever taken like a lot of pump supplements, like, like in your career, if you've taken this kind of stuff, you've had great pumps at one point or another, you've taken something that's had something in there. It's so cheap. It's such a small dosage too. Like it's, it's been in something and it works so well. And again, it's extremely like cost effective for what you get out of it, I think. Right. Yeah. And there's obviously a demographic of, of consumer, like myself included, who's not going to do that. So like they're going to stick with the citrullines and stuff that's maybe more uh, found in nature perhaps. But um, would, let's say someone is like, all right, maybe I'm, I'm going to give this a try. Would, can, can I go to a doctor and say, Hey, I'd love to get a two and a half milligram Cialis prescription because I want a better pump in the gym. Like, is that, they, they can't prescribe for that. Can they, are you suggesting like, you know, what, what, what what's question. this guy going to do? So this, this is, this is where the whole spectrum of medicine is really interesting. It depends on what doctor you're going to. If you go to your primary care physician, probably not. And there's two reasons for that. One, um, typically you're using your health insurance and health insurance companies are really in the business of denying healthcare, I think, rather than providing healthcare. Cause think about it. They make money by not providing care. Cause if they provide care, they have to pay that out. Right. And so really that's why they have things like prior authorizations. If you ever heard that term before, when it's any, when there's anything that's like not straightforward bread and butter 
you know, diagnosis and treatment, they're like, ah, we have to make sure this is like medically necessary. And obviously getting a sick pump in the gym or building more muscle is not a medical condition. And so your insurance is not going to want to pay for that. So that's first and foremost. Second, physicians themselves, if they're just like more in a traditional primary care practice, they're really providing sick care. You only generally go to your doctor when you're sick. You're not generally doing it for preventative medicine and certainly not for performance enhancing medicine. So a lot of just doctors will be uncomfortable, essentially. They can uh, prescribe it for that reason. Every doctor has the right to prescribe any medication off-label as long as they feel like it's clinically indicated. And that's obviously up to their clinical judgment to make that determination. But I would say intrinsically, if you go to kind of your normal doctor, he's probably going to look at you funny and be like, "What? The, I don't even know what a gym pump is unless he <laughs> happens to lift. And he's going to be like, ah, you don't really need it for that. Now, if you go to someone like, our advisors who have private practices here in Santa Monica, and they specialize in regenerative and sports medicine, right? They're, and they're athletes, right? Dr. Rand McLean is like super jacked, you know, old doctor. And, and, and he know he's all about it. He treats a lot of bodybuilders, Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes. So he would, because he has a niche concierge private practice, it's cash pay, generally doesn't deal with insurance too much. And so if you find the right doctor, he can't. The problem is Rand charges $800 for an initial consult because he works with sort of the elite folks in LA. And so a lot of essentially what we were trying to do at Maximus is sort of take that concierge medicine model that you see at these elite private practices in New York and LA and, and, and uh, you know, these cities that cater to sort of wealthy customers and say, hey, if you're just interested in optimization and performance enhancement, uh, we know we're providing that online. And unlike some other telemedicine companies, you don't got to lie to your doctor that like, hey, I have, you know, ED or BPH, and this is really why I want it because I know those are the medical reasons for it versus, hey, I, you know, I want to take it because I just want to be better, better, right, than average. And so you can have an honest conversation about whether that sort of makes sense and as is clinically indicated to do so. So with our, our clinic, certainly you can. Um, obviously, if we're available in your state, you, you can't have that doctor conversation with the doctor. And obviously, you know, the doctor still has to make sure that it's right for you. It's still their judgment. But um, I think it really, it has to be a practice that's set up for that. Excellent. Yeah. I don't have any um, other questions on that. I think just for people like, looking around or whatever, like, yeah, I, I didn't understand this for a long time, but concierge doctor is sometimes what you need to find locally uh, to, to, yeah, to get down into those, uh, those ways. Like, so talk about the level protocol. So, um, Tadalafil is, is one part of it. What's the other part? Yeah. So before we do that, I just want to talk oh, about actually the third benefit. So there's, there's three, oh, um, there's, there's sort of three benefits, I think, to, 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 to Dalafil, um, outside of the, the traditional medical in, indications that we talked about, obviously it enhances, you know, um, the sexual, uh, health and experience side of it, right. In terms of, um, uh, increasing blood flow to get erections. We, so we talked about that second, it has this athletic enhancing effect that we talked about, right. In terms of increasing blood flow, getting those gym pumps and increasing the nutrients to your body. By the way, this is a really interesting anecdote. If you're interested, I had a whole podcast, um, with one of the, um, talk, top physicians in the country. His name is Dr. Wayne Hellstrom. He's one of the medical advisors to Fagger. he actually published a lot of the early research papers on these PDE five inhibitors. And I was actually having a conversation with him and he, he's less tied into the athletic bodybuilding community, but he said an interesting off-label use actually of Tadalafil that he likes is he'll actually give it to people post-surgery. And I was really curious about this. I was like, why is that? And he's like, you know, people need to obviously heal and recover post-surgically. And so if you're enhancing blood flow, you're enhancing nutrients, you're enhancing growth factors, and it actually may help people heal faster actually from 
procedures. And I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. Right. So an interesting like usage of like, well, if you step back and th stop thinking about it as an ED medication and you think about it as really a blood flow medication, like what are all the conditions in which you'd, you'd benefit from enhanced blood flow. And so I think for those, for athletic performance and recovery, it's actually really, really great for that reason. The third awesome. and final reason. Well I was going to say, for anyone who wants to listen to that, I'm cool with shilling another podcast because it's yours, the Maximus yeah. podcast. I think it's the 39th episode. This was, it was said Wayne Hellstrom, right? Dr. Wayne Hellstrom. He's a professor. Hellstrom, yeah. So that was published on your podcast uh, December 20th of 2021. In our show notes, we'll have links to all this stuff too in the study I was talking about before and more that we're going to be talking about. Improve your sexual health and performance, Dr. Wayne Hellstrom. So Thank you. there you go. Yeah, he's, he's much more of a world expert than I am on it. So you should listen to him talk about it because he was actually involved in the development of these drugs and bringing them to market. Um, and, and it's obviously a lot longer conversation that's sort of mm -hmm. focused right. on that. They can listen um, there. The third, and I think this is, I would say just cautiously, like this is preliminary. This is the least amount of research that's been done on it, but I actually think it's very promising is there actually may be cognitive enhancing benefits to it. Because as I mentioned, it's not just increasing blood flow to the penis and your muscles, and it's actually increasing blood flow to the brain or what's called cerebral blood flow. And so um, there's, there's two sort of interesting uh, bodies of literature that are emerging. And the first body of literature is actually around Alzheimer's and dementia. So there's very large data sets of drugs in which, you know, they follow people and they know what drugs are people on. And they actually, interestingly found this, this accidental effect, which is that people who take Viagra have much lower incidences of Alzheimer's. And so now we can't say correlation is causation. This is an associational study, but it does seem to be that people who use Viagra for whatever reason, seem to have lower incidences of Alzheimer's. So I think now it's become an emerging hypothesis of, okay, well, we see this association, maybe hopefully they'll do clinical trials in the future to say, does actually taking a PDE5 inhibitor may actually delay or even wholly prevent the onset of um, dementia-related disorders, including Alzheimer's. I think it's very interesting and potentially promising. Can't make any claims around that for this reason. But what about actually randomized controlled trials? Now, fortunately, there are some actually trials in which they gave people on purpose in a randomized fashion compared to placebo, PDE5 inhibitors, including uh, Cialis or Tadalafil. And they actually did find that the blood flow did have some cognitive enhancing effects um, on, uh, on basically every single measure. Uh, I think there was like a dozen or so measures that they looked at and it seemed to enhance literally uh, performance. So um, the three that I think are most noteworthy and understandable by um, our audience is it actually enhanced memory. So the ability to recall things and enhanced attention. So your ability to pay attention and focus and it actually enhanced processing speed, which is just a fancy term for, you know, how quickly can you kind of work through different problems, um, et cetera. And so in some ways you could thus argue that the PDE5 inhibitors by enhancing blood flow are in fact kind of smart drugs or nootropics. Now, I think that's the, like I said, the least studied and probably the least commonly used off-label indication for these, but I would consider it a nice bonus, right? We don't even market it for the, or make any claims around it, but you know, the literature is there for people to, you know, examine. And, you know, if you're trying to just enhance, you know, your ability to do good work, uh, enhancing blood flow to the brain is a good idea. By the way, here's an really interesting thing. What's the number one smart drug or nootropic in the world that everyone uses? Adderall. Caffeine, right? Before, before, yes, on the prescription <laughs> side, you're right. But caffeine is the most used drug in the world, right? 
Here's the thing that people don't realize. Caffeine also has cognitive enhancing performance effects, right? It'll increase your attention, memory, processing speed, et cetera. But it does so actually in a very different way. Um, it's a cyclical AMP inhibitor. And so it's uh, basically the, the molecule adenosine that's responsible for you falling asleep and inhibits it, makes you very wakeful, right? Obviously that's why if you drink a bunch of caffeine, it'll help you stay up at night. The problem with caffeine is it's actually a vasoconstrictor, right? It actually constricts your blood vessels. Um, and so even though you'll be very alert, um, it also makes you anxious, jittery, sweaty, constricts your blood vessels. So I actually argue that caffeine is great for doing linear, boring work, right? You need to pound out a spreadsheet or go clean something, take some caffeine and just pound through the boringness of that task. But it's not really great for creative work because it's actually reducing blood flow to your brain. And you want kind of blood flow if you're trying to come up with some magic or creative thoughts or to do sort of a more knowledge work. And I would argue, certainly if you're doing more white collar work, professional work, and you're not just pounding through, I mean, maybe there's some boring parts of the day where you got to pound through emails. But other than that, I think a lot of us are trying to create, do novel work, interesting work, come up with interesting solutions or uh, write as you do, right? That, that requires a little bit more of that blood flow. And so I would argue people sort of overuse caffeine um, and in fact, use it to mask their sleep deprivation, obviously. Um, and so if you're using actually something that's a vasodilator, it would actually potentially actually have better effects as a smart drug in terms of increasing blood flow in the, in the brain, which in theory would enhance sort of creativity uh, and sort of uh, innovative type of work. You also mentioned uh, muscle protein synthesis with Cialis mm -hmm. at the beginning, yeah. uh, but we didn't really get into that. Could you quickly gloss over that before we get into the PT-141? Yeah, some of the studies um, on that, I think more of the studies are done on sildenafil or Viagra, but oh, okay. given it's the same class of compounds, the PD-5 inhibitors kind of work in similar ways. As I mentioned, they have different side effect profiles and different half-lives, but I think it's it's not an unreasonable stretch to assume that if it works in one, it probably works in the other mm -hmm. in terms of the muscle protein synthesis. So yeah, there's, there's studies that show that PD-5 inhibitors um, actually enhance muscle protein synthesis, which as you know, um, is really instrumental for muscle growth and hypertrophy. So it's it's essentially explaining one of the mechanisms of actions for why bodybuilders anecdotally find that when they take it, it enhances their ability to build muscle. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of our viewers are gonna, are always interested in like the mTOR CAMP con uh, conversation. So yeah, awesome. Absolutely. So there's another half of the Lever's protocol that like yes. So so uh, Cialis or Tadalafil has been around for a, a while, and we don't like selling generic stuff, you can go get out of CVS and Walgreens and go, go get that from somewhere else. Um, here's the, here's the thing that I thought was really interesting for me. Like I, I actually don't, I don't have ED fortunately. And so I was never interested in ever taking an ED drug. Cause I was like, I don't need it. Right. Until I was actually talking to one of our advisors, Dr. Eugene Chippen. And he actually really argued that Tadalafil is the most important, basically anti-aging drug that exists. Right. Cause he's like, lowers your, lowers your blood pressure, shrinks your prostate, has these cognitive enhancing effects may reduce uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, he's like, these are arguably more important than statins. And he's like, rather than taking a baby aspirin or a statin, he actually argues all guys should in fact be taking low dose to Alphil because of all these wonderful benefits that it has. And I was like, that sounds good to me. So I was like, I'll, I'll go on it. And I tried it and I was like, hey, it is great uh, in terms of the anti-aging effects and obviously the effects in the boardroom and the bedroom and the gym, you will notice. Um, but I was also thinking too, you know, coming back full circle, we were talking about the issue of libido. The thing that people don't understand about ED drugs is they don't do anything for libido. They're, they're almost like 
they improve the plumbing is the way that I describe it, right? It works directly on the vasculature system in increasing blood flow. If you don't really have any problems with blood flow, and sure, maybe you benefit from a little more blood flow, um, it's great, but it's not going to make sex better, right? Because libido is more complex. It's a psychological, neurological phenomenon, as we talked about. So there are other compounds. Um, one compound in particular is the other half of the medication that we use. So the Lover Protocol is five milligrams of Tadalafil. It's that safe and effective low dose, along with two milligrams of something called bremelanotide or PT-141 is the research term for it. The brand name for it is called Vilesi. Um, and the reason this came on the market, again, this is a great example of the things that are it's approved for is not necessarily all that it can be used for. So there were basically no good drugs in the market for women, right? They're like, oh, the guys have the, the, the ED medications, but obviously like, you know, women don't need uh, <laughs> erections. So they're like, there's nothing on the market for them. And so um, a while ago, our researchers were really interested in um, the melanin system, which is this, the system that's um, responsible for the tanning of the skin, right? So uh, people who have genetic backgrounds where they come from more olive complexion kind of uh, ethnicities are less likely to get skin cancer because they have, they naturally are able to tan, right? Where if you're a little bit more of Nordic ancestry, you're not able to tan, you're going to burn and you have much higher incidences of melanomas and skin cancers. So they were like, well, if melanin is this protective agent, because obviously if you think about it, the reason we develop a tan is it's not, it's a natural sun blocking defense mechanism against the sun, right? And basically the darker the skin you are, the less likely you are to burn. Doesn't mean obviously dark skin individuals can't burn, but it's harder for them to burn and they have less incidences of skin cancer. So the question became, how can we pharmacologically actually enhance melanin to almost create a sunless tanning agent? So this resulted in the development of two compounds, melanotan-1 and melanotan-2, which were essentially these really interesting uh, sunless tanning agents. Um, and they never actually fully got FDA approved. So they never really came on the market. But interestingly and anecdotally, one of the early researchers, now remember, they were trying to develop these as tanning drugs, right, to reduce skin cancer. Um, and uh, they're peptides. So they were, they're injectable. So this guy, uh, injected himself accidentally with double the dose that he was supposed to. And he found that he had an eight hour erection that he couldn't even get rid of uh, using like a cold pack. And he was just like, holy moly, this has some other effects that we didn't realize. Just like how we accidentally found the ED drugs, e even though they were originally designed for blood pressure, had this um, ED effect. And there was also surprising because it doesn't work on the vascular system. It's not a PDE5 inhibitor. These actually work on the central nervous system. So it actually works directly on the brain. So what um, bremelanotide or PT-141 is, it's a melanocortin receptor agonist. So basically there are these other receptors that's actually a very ancient primordial system that's in our bodies um, that are called the melanocortin receptors. And so these receptors are responsible for a number of functions, seroidogenesis, which is the production of your hormones, um, they're responsible for the melanin system, which is the, the part of your uh, skin that, that tans. Um, and they also have anti-inflammatory effects. And so these basically bind to MC1 through five, there are five different melanocortin receptors. And so it actually works through a whole different mechanism of action that's completely unique and separate from the PD-5 inhibitors. 
So this was actually very exciting because there are some folks for whom Viagra Cialis does not work. Um, it's, it's often folks who are very sick. If you have um, basically a messed up vasculature system from severe diabetes, you know, it really messes with your vasculature system. And so, you know, if your blood vessels are really weak, they don't sort of tighten and constrict, they don't have that elasticity that they used to, Viagra and Cialis don't work as well, or they need to use higher dosages. But this was actually working through a whole different mechanism of action. It's working directly on, you know, the brain and the central nervous system. So they find that these are basically also ED drugs, but it works in a completely novel mechanism of action. And so the, the natural question that they asked was, well, what if you take them together? Because one works through the vasculature system, the other works through the central nervous system. So are they synergistic? And the answer to that is yes. So they've done studies in which they combine Tadalafil or Cialis or Viagra with bremelanotide or PT-141. And they actually find that they work better than either alone in that they have essentially a synergistic effect on the ability to maintain erections. So uh, bremelanotide PT-141 or brand name Vilesi has actually been FDA approved for hypoactive sexual uh, disorder in women. Um, Cause I mentioned there's no good drugs for women on the market, but the studies have been done in men. It works equally as well in men actually. Um, uh, but it, it, the unique part of it though, is that it doesn't just work as an erectile uh, drug, but it actually enhances libido. And that's the really interesting and novel aspect of bremelanotide. So they've done studies in which they give it to people. Obviously they engage in their normal sexual intercourse, but they ask people and they give them surveys and they're like, well, how was sex? And they're like, well, it's great. I have great erections. But the thing that was novel and different from Cialis and Viagra is they, they noticed that the sexual enjoyment actually increased. Um, often the duration of sex uh, increased in terms of the longevity of the sexual uh, encounter, the satisfaction with the sex, like how pleased or satisfied with you uh, enhance and orgasms uh, actually enhanced as well. So that's the really unique thing about uh, PT-141 or bramelanotide is it's really a libido or sexual drive enhancer uh, much more than it is, I would argue, the, uh, 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 an erectile dysfunction enhancer. And so that's why I actually think they're very synergistic compounds in that if you think about it, uh, Viagra Cialis, essentially, they increase blood flow, as I mentioned, they enhance your erections and bramelanotide enhances. So you could argue that sexual performance, right? It gets you hard. But bremelanotide enhances sexual enjoyment. So the actual enjoyment of the sex, which is arguably just as important, that's the thing that I actually think is a little bit more cosmetic. Because even if you are able to maintain erections, even without any medication, you're, you're fine, you're good, you're otherwise healthy. If I asked you, well, hey, you don't have any trouble getting hard, but would you just like better sex, more pleasure, more enjoyment, more satisfaction? I think the overwhelming majority of guys would say yes, because uh, it is a sexual enhancer. And so enhancing the enjoyment of sex is something that's unique to bremelanotide. And that's why we added it as sort of that second synergistic compound. So having come from a drug that causes tanning, uh, does this now, is this now a completely different class of drugs where you're not going to have that problem? Because I also, I've used melanotan as well. And I also had the um, gastric distress side effect as well. So there were a couple things about melanotan that I didn't like. And I did find the side effects that ended up being PT-141 as well. So I, I think a lot of people are going to ask, what are the differences there? Because you led in with that. Yeah, I kind of got confused that yeah, where Melanotan-1 turned into or got moved into PT-141. Yeah, sorry. I skipped over that part of the story. It's a great question. So um, uh, Melanotan actually never made it to market. 
um, because to your point, it actually had too much side effects. Uh, I think the one that they were most concerned about was actually a transient increase in blood pressure. So it actually increased blood pressure, uh, unlike the ED medication, as I mentioned, which lower blood pressure. And so they're a little concerned about that, never made it to market. Um, the interesting uh, anecdotal backstory, I don't know if this is true, but this is the rumor, is that the the either the researchers or the pharmaceutical company that developed melanotan, it never made it through FDA. So they were just like, this is never going to see the light of day. And so supposedly they actually published the molecule online so that anyone else could basically make it. And so what it ended up happening is basically these Chinese uh, pharmaceutical companies ended up making it illicitly, essentially on the black market. And so even though it was never FDA approved, never legal to take, essentially a lot of the bodybuilding community ended up buying it black market online, which you can still get to this day. I don't recommend it because I just don't think, you know, from a safety perspective, you should be buying black market drugs. But caveat emptor, you know, people were taking it for that reason. And that's literally the whole history of uh, melanotan. But, you know, I think what happened after that was that people were like, oh, okay, this whole sunless tanning agent thing, it's not going to work out, but it does have this ED benefit. So let's figure out what component of it is responsible for sort of the arousal effects. And so they essentially derived a new drug, which is now bromelanotan PT1241. It's a, it's a subset essentially of the peptide. It's a smaller peptide. Um, that has essentially much more specific effects. So to Ben's question, it doesn't have the tanning effect that melanotan has, which actually is a good thing because sometimes people are not trying to get super tan. There's really funny, um, you can go look online. There's like UK uh, articles of people who took way too much uh, melanotan and then went on vacation to some tropical country and they came back looking black basically. Um, and it looked terrible, obviously, as someone who wasn't supposed to be ethnically that color. So you're not gonna get that side effect with um, bromelanotide or PT-141, it doesn't have that tanning uh, effect because it, it, it's a derivative of melanotan. It's not the same drug. And it was basically designed to be much more specific for the sexual use case, not the tanning use case. The other question that people ask though is about, well, what about the side effects? Um, they, it does have a higher incidence of side effects than um, the ED drugs, but the, actually the, the reason for that is because um, of the route of administration and um, the dosages. So bromelanotide is typically injected. It's an injectable and um, it works really well as an injectable, but like the side effects of nausea flushing actually happen in like in those studies in like 13, 11% of people. Um, and I don't know, it's, I don't know about you, but getting nauseous and having flushing is not a turn on for me uh, in terms of uh, having a, a good sexual encounter. And so, um, they became interested in alternative delivery vehicles. And so one thing that was actually tested in the research literature um, was an intranasal uh, administration where you just squirted up your nose. Now they had to use very high dosages, 10 milligrams often in the studies to make it obviously as absorbable, but there's nothing that works as well as an injection in terms of just like pure bioavailability because you're just injecting it straight into you know, your system. Problem though is like, I, I don't know about you, but I don't generally like injecting things into my body unless it's like an acute or urgent need, right? If I'm like, man, I'm dying of an infection, please inject me. But if you're talking about having to do something daily for the rest of your life, you're talking about hundreds or thousands of injections over the lifespan, you're going to mess it up once in a once in a while, just your skin. There's a lot of issues I think with like constant, constant, especially daily injections. You know, it's different when TRT users are doing it once a week, maybe even bi-weekly. It's not as onerous, but you're talking about 
daily injections, especially if you want to have sex every day, starts to get really onerous. Um, but yeah, it has those sort of side effects. So what we've done is we actually administer it sublingually, which is just a fancy word for under the tongue. So under the tongue uh, administration basically allows um, uh, smaller molecules to get absorbed through the mucous membranes of your mouth. And it avoids a lot of the issues with oral bioavailability in which it either gets peptides often get broken down by, you know, the gastric juices of your stomach or it has to go through liver metabolism, um, which sometimes creates issues. Um, and so it is a, um, uh, a really convenient delivery system because obviously you just pop it under your tongue. It kind of dissolves. It's an oral dissolving tablet, usually dissolves within 60 seconds. And we use about a two milligram dosage. So it is a lower dosage than typically seen in the trials. And a lot of people say, well, I only heard that it works through injectable and maybe high dose intranasal. Um, and no, we actually find that it does work in the sublingual form. It's not as strong. I, I always tell people it's a milder effect than if you inject it. But here's the thing. I think it's a good thing because we're trying to develop something that's safe for daily use that you can take forever. You're not just taking it to have a wild weekend in the Bahamas and, you know, I don't want an eight hour erection. I think that in fact, there's a high risk. It's called pre, uh, preasmus, I believe. You, you have an erection for more than four hours. It can often be an emergency. You have to go to the ER, they have to drain the blood out of your penis. You don't wanna do that, right? It's rare, but it's a side effect um, when, especially with the injectable stuff or really taking high dosages of ED medications. So I, I think a, a better, safer, smarter philosophy is take it sublingually. It's gonna have a milder effect. It's not gonna drive you crazy horny, as I, I always tell people. I, I don't believe in over-promising and under-delivering. It has a mild stimulatory effect in terms of your libido, um, which if you're taking it on a day-to-day -day basis, it's just increases kind of the, the foundation of the bar for your libido. And so you're getting that benefit. And we really haven't heard actually very much of the typical side effects in terms of the nausea, flushing, sweating, lower back pain, taste disturbance, headache, drowsiness that you, that you see with the injectable type. So as I mentioned, in terms of getting that cost benefit analysis, yeah, it's not going to make you as crazy horny or hard, but I think you, you don't want to take something that creates side effects for the most part. And so that sublingual uh, administration and the lower two milligram dosage of it, I would argue is the sweet spot in terms of the most bang for the buck without as much problems. Yeah. One of the things you noted early on was that, uh, you want a healthy libido, right? You don't right. like, you don't need you know, your guys to be doing this three times a day just because they're using your, yeah. these drugs. And I think it's important, you know, like if people want to take it to that level, they, there are places to do that. But we're talking about helping people who just need a little bit of a boost to their, their baseline, like you were calling it. Exactly. And, you know, as a psychologist, um, you know, as I mentioned, not only is libido sort of a healthy sign of overall health, I actually also just think it's an incredibly useful thing. If you literally go back to the days of Freud, um, you know, uh, libidinal energy is how it was described. And I actually think a healthy libido is really important for being a successful and accomplished man, because you can sublimate is what the analyst would call it, or channel your libido in ways that are healthy. And doesn't mean just through sex. I would actually argue that a lot of the great art and innovation that's been in the world has been through the sublimation of libido. You channel your horniness in a way that has other than to do with sex in terms of creating great works of art, creating great work in terms of having great motivation and drive. So that's the other thing too, is I think libido, you should think about it in a much more holistic way other than just for sex. Yes, it's great for physical intimacy, but 
what makes men great is really the sublimation of that libido and channeling it in ways that are positive and pro-social and productive. So if you don't have any libido, I would argue it's going to be hard for you to change the world and do anything great, right? So you want healthy testosterone, you want healthy libido because that drive can be channeled in a lot of different ways. And yes, you should be making sure your partner is satisfied and healthy with your relationship, but you can really apply it to work as well. It's not being horny at work. It's just having that I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, the Spanish call it duende. It's a little virility, bit of, maybe like, what was that? Virility. Virility. Virility is a great term, right? Because virility is not only your ability to obviously reproduce, but it's that, yeah, it's that drive. It's that aggression. And you're, you're channeling it in a way that accomplishes great things. So I have a private practice. I work with a lot of tech CEOs and they're all about that. Like a common question that I have is especially is like, you know, these guys are not working nine to five jobs. They're trying to create great companies. They're working a lot. And they have to be super driven. And I think that really comes from a deep psychological place of like, what's my mission in, in building this company that makes it really great? Is there a chip on my shoulder? Am I trying to prove something to the world? And third is like, am I maintaining my health and channeling my, my testosterone, my DHT, my libido, my virility in a way that's going to create great things. So I would encourage people to think about it in that way too. It's, it's not even though we call it the lover protocol, because that's the most obvious, obviously used for the product is to enhance, like I said, your sexual performance and your enjoyment. I actually think it may actually have some interesting benefits for work as well. If you channel that libido um, and that you're not mas- I would encourage you not to masturbate three times a day. In fact, you know, healthy masturbation is good. Actually, there's studies that show that it enhances prostate function. If you do it every once in a while, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Obviously, if it's not taking away from, you know, your partner or taking away from, you know, your normal functioning but you should really channel that libido in a way and that drive in a way um, that's good. And in fact, there's, there's studies that show temporarily, it's not a testosterone boosting effect, but abstaining from masturbation or sexual function creates a transient increase in testosterone and growth hormone just for a couple of days. And then it dies down, but athletes actually use this to their advantage, right? If you, if you talk to professional athletes and their coaches, what do they say? Don't have sex typically like the night before a big boxing match, they want that aggression, that drive, that libido to be channeled into the match. You're going to go fight for your life and you don't want to be depleted, both in terms of obviously the excess physical activity. But, you know, you know, once you're done, you get sort of the, uh, the, the prolactin release in your brain. You want to sit down, you want to go to sleep, right? It makes you sleepy. So I, I think guys can um, very uh, carefully sort of channel their libidinal energy in a way that really enhances um, their ability to, to do great things. There's a lot of directions to go from there. Yeah. Uh, So I, 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 okay. So a little bit of like bookkeeping, I guess. So is the, with the lover protocol are the prescription, is is it the same as with enclomaphene, the prescription route and the pharmacy, they send out some flavored sublingual tablets and a blister pack or something like that. Like same kind of situation. So Tadalafil and bremelanotide are both, um, FDA approved prescription drugs. So yes, you have to, um, you'll go to maximustribe.com. You'll fill out, fill out a medical questionnaire that uh, includes your medical history, make sure that there's no contraindications or reasons that you can't take it. You report any sort of symptoms or goals that you have, right? It's to, you know, I want to enhance my sexual performance, my enjoyment, uh, et cetera. And so they'll figure out, you know, where the benefits are for you. Um, if the doctor thinks it's appropriate, they'll write you a prescription. Now, the difference with um, that compared to the King protocol, there's no lab testing in this protocol, right? There's no biomarker like testosterone for your libido. Yes, maybe there one day will be uh, besides morning wood. 
um, or just your subjective report. But here's the good thing. I mean, guys know if they can't get an erection or your libido is low, it's, it's obvious. And so it's self-report is a relatively ac accurate me measure of essentially of your sexual health. And so, um, uh, yeah, we, we ship it out. It's fast two day shipping. Um, and you'll get it in the mail to 30 day supply. Uh, it's a nice, cool little blue pill bottle. Um, and, and as I mentioned, they're sublingual tablets. So they're little, uh, dissolve oral dissolving tablets that you put underneath your tongue. Um, and then you can basically use it every day, uh, indefinitely, as long as it's getting you the cost benefit that you would like. It's 149 99 a month. Um, but if you actually, which sounds like a lot, but if you actually do the math, it's $5 a day. Um, and I was, I was making the analogy to caffeine, um, as a cognitive enhancer. I was like, it's basically a cup of coffee a day. You basically spend that much if you go to Starbucks. Um, but it's going to give you way better effects. Um, and so I actually think it's a pretty good deal. Um, I think in fact, a lot of the telemedicine companies usually charge about eight bucks a pill. Um, so at five bucks is actually lower priced and you get two for one, right? Instead of just getting to first, you're getting that extra libido enhancing, uh, bromelanotide as well. So the, the protocol, uh, you kind of mentioned, uh, how long Cialis can be a, like a, like a weekend pill, um, PT-141, how long does that last in your system? Yeah, it's a great question. Unfortunately, um, it's not super clear with the sublingual form because most of the gotcha. studies are done on the injectable or the intranasal forms. Um, it has a, um, anything um, that's injectable intranasal typically has a shorter half-life, mm -hmm. right? So it typically only works for, you know, on the order of, um, you know, hours in that form. But I will tell you anecdotally, um, it, we kind of hear it kind of works uh, much more in the multiple hour range, essentially with the bromelanotide. And as if you're taking it daily, you, like I said, you're getting more of that steady serum state uh, in your system. And so the libido enhancing effects, you don't necessarily, you don't need to time it. Now, if you can, uh, if you would like to, you can. So if you're clearly trying to take it, for instance, for the sexual benefit, taking it 30 to 60 minutes before sex, is you're gonna get the highest concentrations of both compounds in your blood. Or if you're taking it as a pre-workout, same thing, take it 30 to 60 minutes before you hit the gym, you know, like you're, I'm heading on my way over to the gym, wrapping up at work, uh, it's the perfect time to take it. But you don't have to take it at that time. If you take it in the morning, I think you can rest assured that even if you're working out in the evenings after work, it's gonna be enough hanging around your system that you're still gonna get the, yeah. the pump effect essentially. But if, you, if you're if you a true biohacker optimizer, like I know some of the folks who are listening on your podcast are, sure, you can, you can take it in the evening if you like. Just make sure that obviously it's like fitting your routine. I always say, look, and I tell people this, like I, I'm generally a fan of morning dosing. And the reason is not because it's the best time to take it. It's the time that people don't forget to take it. Right. When you're taking it midday or after work, or you're trying to time it in the day, I forgot it in my gym bag, people forget. And then they're inconsistent about their dosing. And when you're inconsistent about your dosing, that's when you get the worst effects, right? Because now you've missed the dose and you're like, should I double the dose? And you're like, nope, don't do that. Cause you're going to increase the risk of side effects when you do that. So the, the best dosing regimen timing wise is really the, the time that you can take it most consistently every day. If you have enough self-discipline and conscientiousness that you can take it every day before your gym workout or before your sexual preferred sexual encounter time, then great. Take it in the evenings. But for most people, I think it's fine to just take it in the mornings just because you're less likely to forget it. It's in your medicine cabinet, you're at home and it's part of your routine. You just take it when you have breakfast or when you're brushing your teeth. I like that a lot. I wanna try this pre PT-141 in, in general, like you were saying, just for just overall life and aggression towards work. Uh, it sounds like a really interesting concept. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, like, so for the overall life and aggression towards work type of uh, type of application, would do you, do you personally think that enclomaphene is better or the PT-141? Like, if I was going to choose one or the other, two completely different things, but they both could put some extra pep in your step, it sounds like. Yeah, it's a great question. They are they are stackable as the supplement. Right, and that was asked that too. Okay. Protocols. So they work through different mechanisms of action. Um, and I would actually argue they're complementary. Um, I would say if you're you're really trying to increase your your testosterone motivation drive, which just comes, there's nothing like testosterone, you know, and, and testosterone and DHT are really the true virility, actually hormones, I would say. Um, the king protocol is going to be best for that. Uh, if you're trying to really build muscle, I would actually argue King Protocol is the best for that because there's clear research literature, as I mentioned on our previous podcast, that you can gain about five pounds of lean mass in 12 weeks on the highest dosages of that. Now, there are studies that show that, as I was talking about with Ben, that the PDN5 inhibitors enhance muscle protein synthesis, but it's unclear how much muscle that results in building, right? But anecdotally, I don't think it's going to make you jacked like TRT or steroids. Uh, so if you're trying to get super jacked, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say that as a standalone compound is going to make you huge. I think that would be over-promising and under-delivering. Um, so yeah, I would say if, if you're really trying to increase your testosterone motivation drive, King Protocol is going to be best. If you're trying to enhance your libido, which is a little different than just like the pure motivation drive, the lover protocol is going to be better and blood flow, uh, lover protocol is going to be better. Uh, just enhancing the, the blood flow aspects of it. And obviously you can take both of them together. We actually have a bunch of our customers who do. Um, cause like I said, they, they have uh, complementary effects. Is there a discount for getting both? Not yet. It is a common question that we're, we're asked. <laughs> I figured. Um, so one day we probably actually will. Um, but we'll, what we are doing is, um, and we'll talk about this in a future podcast. We are releasing actually our, our, uh, our own supplement. Um, it's called Maximus building blocks to give people a sneak preview. It's basically our version of a men's multivitamin. Um, but it's in much, um, higher dosages. Like our, we have 10,000 IUs of vitamin D, um, in, in that supplement, um, along with some of the compounds that we talked about in the previous, um, uh, podcast. So it includes the dranogerinol or the GG, um, the tocotrienols, the special forms of vitamin E. What we added to, um, the thing that we had before the, the previous supplement had vitamins, A, D, E, K, and GG. Those are the five things. This now includes a B complex. Um, so it makes it much more of a, um, almost complete, essentially multivitamin. I think it just doesn't have the trace minerals. Um, but it also has a little bit of saffron, um, uh, in that for the cognitive enhancing effects, um, uh, uh the, the GG, the tocotrienols. So it's, it's a much more complete that will be discounted and that will only be available. In fact, if you're on the King or the lover protocol, we're not going to sell it as a standalone supplement. We're really not a supplement company. As we talked about, we're really a pharmaceutical medication company in which everything is doctor prescribed. But it's a bonus in that, as we talked about, vitamin D doesn't really enhance testosterone, but if you're deficient in it, it will impair your testosterone production. And so now that we have the second protocol, the lover protocol, instead of just including the supplement into the King protocol, which is what we used to do, we're taking it out and saying it's an add-on essentially. If you're on the King protocol, you can add it on. It's going to be $39.99, I believe. Um, if you're on the lover protocol, you can also add it on. So you can basically take our multi with any one of our uh, protocols, which will you know, hopefully make sure you don't have any nutritional deficiencies that are impairing the efficacy of any of our protocols. Excellent. All right. That sounds interesting. I, yeah, I have no further 
I don't have any other questions. I think it's awesome. I mean, like I've kind con- I've gone down a few of these rabbit holes and personally, I, I think for anyone listening, like I'm always going to focus on metabolic health first. We talked a lot about, about that and removing some of the environmental toxins. So go back to episode 62, listen to some of that. If you're uh, wanting to go down this path, cause I still am going to first and foremost, go down the metabolic path, get some sunlight, all that good stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I have to like agree with everything you've, you've said about pornography. I think it's, um, it's doing some terrible things. I would even like posit that it's, it's kind of like, um, maybe even causing some of the performance anxiety you've mentioned in the past. So try to limit that. Like if you, if you really want to read some interesting stuff, um, look into, uh, I forget if it's called sperm retention or semen retention. I don't know if you've ever gone down this rabbit hole, but basically yeah, I wanted to bring it up because I, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I, it a lot. It's, it's a very commonly asked question. As I mentioned, the effects are transient. That's the problem. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to last. I think the body essentially adapts uh, to that once you really go beyond something like five days. So, well, um, and that, that's kind of what I was thinking is like, yeah, just making it, making it like a week or so. Um, I'm an animal by the end of the week. And so <laughs> like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever have sex with your wife or anything like that. But um, there is, there is a moment for me where a, a, a switch starts to flip and it's, it's fun. And when I, when I know I need to get stuff done um, and channel that energy, I, I do really appreciate what the male physiology can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, I think um, semen retention gets a little too much magical or mystical <laughs> yeah. associations. Like it's going to like change your life. I, I, I just don't think the, the data is there, but here's the way that I talk about it. I actually don't think pornography or masturbation is an intrinsic evil. You know, as a psychologist, we talk about it's the habit. That's the problem, right? If you're able to enjoy pornography once in a while and doesn't cause you any social occupational or relational dysfunction, it's not a problem by definition, right? In order to be a disorder by definition, and we talk about this too, like in, in uh, sexual health, um, it's it's not a, um, if you just like, like, you know, your girlfriend wearing stockings, that's just a kink, right? It's it's not a fetish, right? A fetish uh, or, or for it to become a sexual disorder is like, I can't get hard or can't have orgasm if my girlfriend doesn't wear stockings. That's when it's a problem, right? So is it getting in the way? That's the real question. So I think now, um, whether you want to call it semen retention or just, you know, we call it dopamine fasting, uh, abstaining from impulsive or compulsive behavior that's starting to cause a problem in your life is generally a good idea. Because the thing is, you want to basically have ownership over your behavior and say, yeah, when I choose to do this and it's done in a healthy way, I can indulge, right? And same thing with drinking. Like I always say, look, there's no safe amount of alcohol. It's a carcinogen. It's not a, it's not a good thing to take. Almost everyone drinks right? But you make that choice for yourself about when is it socially beneficial for me to do so? Or I just like the taste of an ice cold beer. I know it's hoppy and estrogenic. It's not great, but whatever. I make that, I make a choice for myself in terms of harm reduction. And I think everyone should make that when it comes to their sexual health as well. Just be aware though, when it's becoming excessive or problematic, that's when you may want to practice taking breaks um, and making sure that, you know, you're not causing any issues with yourself or your partner. I think that, yeah. I think there's a lot of healthy takeaways there, uh, especially mm-hmm. just in terms of instead of like abstaining completely, like making these events more meaningful and worth it. Totally. One one last thing I want to just like throw in there, as we talked about with the King Protocol too, is we're, we're I really didn't want to start a pill mill with this company, mm-hmm. right? And we're obviously talking about broader things like psychology and behavior, 
Um, and, and this applies uh, maybe a little bit more to the King protocol, but it applies to the Lover protocol as well. Everyone who, who, who joins um, our protocol gets, gets access to our community, right? Anyone can join actually, if you wanna see a sneak preview of it, it's at maximustribe.com discord. We have a discord community. It's about 1500 men on there. There's specific sub channels, which include Lover protocol, King protocol. And then there's this channel called health coaching, right? In which uh, we actually address the psychological and behavioral parts of this too which is like, great, yeah, we'll give you the medication that you want, but if there's other stuff or other demons that you need to address, uh, you know, I supervise it, obviously as a licensed clinical psychologist, I'm not doing therapy per se in the online groups, but can help you kind of point out things that maybe uh, need some work or refer you to appropriate resources or, um, you know, some techniques that are go beyond the pharmacology. I'll give you a really great example of this. Um, premature ejaculation is also a huge problem that there's a lot of stigma around. And that in, is a great example of something, in my opinion, the pharmacological solution should not be the first approach. Um, there's a lot of other companies out there that will prescribe an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor for premature ejaculation. Now these are originally FDA approved for uh, depression, um, wow. but they have side effects. They off, some of them even have black box warnings. They're very powerful psychotropic drugs that affect your serotonin system and your neurotransmitters. Now, ironically, what is considered a side effect, which is anorgasmia, the, it makes it hard for you to orgasm in a person who has premature ejaculation, that's a benefit, right? So what is a side effect and what's a benefit? But I think it's a pretty drastic approach yeah. when there is a good behavioral treatment for it. Masters and Johnson, which are very famous sex researchers and um, developed something called the squeeze technique. You can Google it and look it up online later. You basically train yourself to get close to orgasm. You squeeze the head of the penis in order to prevent orgasm by basically squeezing the blood flow out of the head of the penis. And you do this repeatedly, either with yourself or a partner to train yourself not to uh, ejaculate prematurely. And it works really, really well. If you just practice this over and over again, you know, as part of a routine or part of a protocol, you can train yourself to go longer. It works really well. Um, obviously Kegel exercises, you've heard about those for women, but actually they're very helpful for men as well in terms of reducing premature ejaculation. Um, both of those things can be used behaviorally to make sure you're lasting long enough if that's your problem in bed. And I honestly think a lot of people's confidence is, is not around their erections. It's actually around not lasting long enough. And those can really be addressed really, really well behaviorally. Uh, by training the muscles, the Kegel muscles around that. And obviously training yourself a little bit more psychophysiologically to not get too excited and, and uh, be able to learn to control your orgasm, which you can do through repeated practice. That stuff we talk about in the coaching channel. And so, yes, we'll make you hard. Yes, we'll enhance your libido. But the art of sex, the art of being able to control your, your orgasm uh, to you know have good intimacy that's all going to make just as much, if not more of a difference than the medication um, and, and having the emotional connection and all the other things that make sex great um, go just beyond pure blood flow or melanocortin receptor agonism. So I really think if you're going to be holistic and think about your health in a holistic way, you got to address the biological, the psychological, and the social. And we, we provide that as part of our community as well. Like I said, not everyone takes advantage of it, but I, I really think if you want to, you know, be a great lover, uh, then it's useful to think about those aspects as well. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, 100% co-sign that it's, 
I forgot about the squeeze technique. I actually went down that rabbit hole in college and this is on the internet. I don't even know what's out there on the internet now, but it was in the early 2000s. And uh, to, to help improve with the confidence, it actually absolutely 100% worked, everything you're talking about. And uh, kind of don't have to worry about it as well. I, uh, yeah, and the, the Kegel thing, it's, I don't know, kind of, I mess around sometimes probably this isn't a good idea. I don't even know. Um, just stopping my stream when urinating. I know a lot of people say it hurts. I just sometimes I mess around with that and, and have since a kid. And it's always uh, created a stronger muscle down there. And I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not, but it just a, was a weird habit that I did as a child. And so um, that I, I don't know why that always kind of seemed to help. Um, the other thing I wanted to add, Ben's going to roll his eyes here. Check your underwear, folks. I am still on the anti-polyester rant. And I think if you have, I, I fully, fully, truly believe that everyone should be wearing 100% cotton boxers or briefs. Um, I'm not sure if you have a briefs versus boxers thing, but I I fully believe that based upon the limited animal research that we've seen, that wearing plastic underpants such as polyester um, is detrimental to a lot of things going on with the testicles. And so that's like, but there's some research done in the 90s. And then it was never followed up on. And the research in the 90s are pretty alarming. So I I just want to like kind of reiterate that. If you, it's just one more thing to throw in there. And to to further my conspiracy here, or I guess a theory, conspiracy theory is if you go on Amazon and look for 100% cotton boxers, you're not going to find anything. And so that's alarming. So I actually, uh, the Target brand, Longfellow or whatever is what I wear. And I like them a lot. And it's 100% cotton. Um, I just don't wear plastic clothing anymore. So that's just a big thing that I've kind of gone down. But in terms of like serious, you know, needing serious pharmaceutical support, I would say it just adds just one more little one more little thing to, to consider, but probably not going to move the needle a ton. And uh, some of the studies, it took like six months for uh, things to return back to normal in the, in the animals. So yeah, it might take time, but it's worth looking into. Yeah, I, I wish more research to your point was done on this, but I don't think, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, I think there is a world of, even though I'm obviously a medical school professor and research scientist, I publish a lot of papers myself um, or have, um, you know, there there is a world of evidence outside of randomized control trials. I don't think they're the be all and end all. Like for instance, obviously there's a lot of people who practice in the real world and they're they're kind of working on cutting edge stuff like our advisors and um like the the hair and beard growth protocol that we're working on um it's going to be launched at the end of this quarter and we'll, we'll have to come on another podcast and talk about uh uses an off-label use of a drug that uh, most people aren't familiar with um but he's uses it literally with hollywood celebrities here in la like a lot of them are on the stuff and it works super super well so i i do think to your point you know there is some stuff that just maybe makes common sense um, I like, I think using natural fabrics just generally makes common sense because we know synthetic fabrics, there's a lot of chemicals that are involved in the production of them, even the dyes that they use. Um, that's why you should definitely wash your clothes before you wear them to get a lot of the dyes out. You'll just see that in the water, right? It becomes colored whenever you buy anything that's, um, not white essentially. So, uh, I think those are good common sense things. Does it work? I don't know, but it's probably better safe than sorry, uh, is, is the motto that I'd have. Um, the two specific follow-up recommendations along those lines is um, I think your bedding is really important. I actually use silk sheets for that reason. It's a natural fiber. It's expensive, um, but it's I mean, it's obviously soft uh, given it's silk and it's but it's natural. Um, it's Pretty very breathable. Uh, it's great. A lot of people, interestingly, anecdotally, find um, if they have uh, facial acne, just buying even silk pillowcases, flipping them over and changing them so you have a couple of them. Yeah. Significantly reduces facial acne because, you know, you're just smearing yourself in your own sebum that's been collected in, uh, you know, your, uh, 
you know, your cotton or polyester pillowcases. So that's a, that's a simple thing that you can do. And I also think you should give your balls a break um, is the, I believe the clinical term <laughs> when you go to sleep in that uh, sleeping, you should not sleep with underwear. Um, you should either sleep um, naked or with loose fitting boxers. Um, like I have a nice pair of silk boxers that I just wear at nighttime. <laughs> Uh, but you want it to air out. Cause the thing is obviously in the daytime, you got to wear pants. Um, and no matter whether you're using boxers or brief, I almost feel like they become the same because you, whenever you're wearing pants, even if they're hopefully not tight skinny jeans, but they compress obviously your balls against your body, they heat them up. And we know that obviously the reason, in fact, that we have testicles outside of the body is to keep the sperm at a lower temperature than your core body temperature. Right. And so it overheats all this. Now, I don't think the icing the balls thing is like probably works. I think this is a who knows if what the hell is going on there. Panning the balls. <laughs> yeah. There's all, all kinds of crazy stuff. But I think just like being able to like aerate them and keep them cool at night, because at least you're, you know, you're in bed for hopefully eight hours a night, um, gives them a little bit of the break from probably being a little bit excessively heated and also humid um, just from, you know, being with all the clothes that we wear. So I think those are just really simple things like use, um, cotton wool or silk, uh, bedding that's natural, uh, hopefully organically dyed same thing. Like you use loose fitting, um, uh, sleep clothing, uh, at night. I think it's, it's just probably a good idea. Awesome. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yes. I, Another incredible conversation with Dr. Cam. I have uh, nothing more here. I, yeah. Uh, so little business update. Like, what uh, Are there new states that have been added to your, your pharmacies you're working with or anything like that? Or um, yeah, great question. Um, as of now, we're in Arizona, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Utah, and Wisconsin. Um, that's as of today, July 12th, 2022. Um, right. if you go to our website, maximustribe.com slash lover or slash King, um, there's a little FAQ at the bottom. It says, what States is it available in? We always update it as we expand. We're trying to expand as quickly as possible. Um, we'll actually probably be in a bunch of more States. As I mentioned, hopefully Texas is next, which I'm really excited about. Um, we're, we're just launching actually with a new pharmacy with the lover protocol, um, to develop these special sublingual tablets, um, and so, yeah, hopefully if we're not in your state, um, just sign up for our email list and we'll let you know when we launch there soon. Awesome. Dr. Cam, thank you once again for coming on. Ben, do you have any other questions? I... <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, thank you. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as always. So uh, These show notes are going to take me some time, but yeah, we're going to have all, uh, all the studies in, in there. And then we are going to do a deep dive on PT-141. Um, and so on, on the blog and everything. So we'll be putting that out there and then sign up for the alerts because we, it sounds like we, we're definitely going to have a few more podcasts coming to you. I'm not sure if it'll be, you know, this year, next year or whatever, but um, you are, it sounds like you're doing quite well over there and you have a really unique business model that's addressing a lot of the things that our audience would love to see addressed. So we appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Our, our, our focus is pretty simple in that, you know, we're not trying to launch a hundred different supplements. We, we're launching one pharmaceutical product per quarter. So we'll have hopefully four by the end of this year, but we go for quality, not quantity. Um, it takes a lot of time to formulate these. We do a lot of research, um, but they're high quality stuff. It's literally stuff that, you know, I and us take and, and our medical advisors prescribe, like I said, to all the elite customers in their practice. So I think if you're, if you're a choosy selective person about what you put in your body, which I certainly am, and hopefully you should be too. Um, I think you'll be happy with, you know, the quality and the standards that, that we provide. 
Um, and if not, let us know, uh, you know, like with the King protocol, like we, we literally guarantee the results. Like if your lab uh, results don't increase your testosterone, we give you your money back. And with the lover protocol, you know, it's a month to month subscription. If you don't like it after the first month, discontinue. But, you know, uh, as I mentioned with pharmaceutical drugs, they're, they're pretty potent. So I don't think you'll be disappointed. <laughs> on that note, let's sign off. Thanks again for uh, coming on. Thank My you. pleasure. I look forward to joining you uh, for future products as well. I think you guys do such great work in terms of bringing science to the supplement industry. Um, and I think that's why you have such great credibility amongst your viewership because it's no nonsense. That's how I found you guys. I was like, you know, when I'm researching, you know, what uh, dose of uh, L-carnitine, L-tartarate to take or creatine to take, <laughs> I, I know I can trust uh, the, you know, the price plow blog uh, in terms of other uh, recommendations. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you.